you know, you see Tesla trying to make, you know, trying to make self-driving cars, and it is so difficult to make a car stay on the road and not run over the other cars. You know, so you think of the intricacies of, of, you know, picking crops and planting crops and all that stuff. There's a lot that goes into that. That is going to be an incredibly difficult problem. I am curious what Star Wars robot in the Star Wars canon would make the best farming robot. It, especially with farming, there's always something more that you can do. And in Stardew, there's always something else that you need to be doing. You need to go catch the fish, you need to go to the mine, you need to do whatever. You never have enough energy or daytime. Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brennan Black, and in today's episode, we're going to have another consumer conversation with our good friend, Patrick. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me again today. I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. So in the last episode... Last time on Talk Ag to Me, we last left our heroes... We were talking about all all sorts of different things. We kind of had a, a conversation that went in a lot of different directions, which is good. That's that's what I'm hoping for is to have a lot of different trains of thought going around this subject because that means that our our guest is actually thinking about it. So uh, we're we had a few questions at the end of the last episode that weren't fully answered, and it's just because you know time restrictions for an episode, it, you don't want to talk for ten hours about the same topic. So uh, and it was getting kind of late on Patrick's end. So I offered for him to come back and do a second episode and that's here we are so uh we have a few questions that i know that patrick here wanted to get to so we're going to address those as well but we're just kind of kind of do what we're doing last time and just talk talk ag that's kind of what we do here so uh patrick you it's said in you the had name some, yeah that it sure is you said you had some questions for me uh yeah you piqued my interest at the very end and i i don't think that was totally fair when you just threw out the <laughs> casual robots question i'm like whoa 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 back that up sir robots <laughs> um so i wrote down the this question and i just have it, literally in my notes it says robots with a bunch of question marks <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna ask that generally general and i have some more specific questions but you know robots where, where, how do those fall into into agriculture I, I mean i can imagine some scenarios but uh Tell me, tell me what you know. Mm. So robots are a very interesting aspect of agriculture, and you're not the only person I've, I've had this conversation with where I've mentioned robots and their eyes light up and they say, wait a second, you say robots? And so it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not an uncommon reaction. And it's, I think the reason for that is because agriculture as an industry is often thought of as very simplistic, uh, like less technologically advanced in a sense. It's very, uh, you just, you know, you go out and you, you collect your crops and you, you milk your cow and that's about it. But there is a lot of technological advancement in agriculture that is often overlooked. And so the ag industry is actually one of, if not the most technologically advanced industries in the entire world because they're producing our food. They need to have the, the like most state-of-the-art technology capable of doing that task. And so where the robots come in, there's a lot of different new uh, technologies that agriculturalists, that farmers are using to produce their food more effectively. And so I'll, I'll give you a few examples. And just disclaimer, when I say robots, I don't mean like Wally driving through a field collecting corn with, you know, with just his hands and he puts in a little bucket kind of thing. Uh, it's slightly oh, more... I've lost interest. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. 
<laughs> no, it's slightly more it's slightly more complicated than that. I mean, they they do operate very similarly. Basically, it's by robot. I'll just give you a very simplistic definition. I just mean a mechanical device that is operated by some form of artificial intelligence. And so, because there are machines that we use that, in the agriculture industry that are either man-operated or they're operated remote, uh, remotely from, from an office somewhere, and I guess you can consider those robots in a sense, the same way you consider like a toy robot a robot, because it's controlled by a, a human, but there are certain um, artificially intelligent machines that we use in the agricultural industry as well. And I think that's kind of more along the lines of what you were imagining when I said robot. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I meant, well... Maybe I'm simple, but if whenever you're talking remote-controlled uh, agricultural equipment harvesting uh, crops, uh, I immediately say, "Okay, this is you know magic. This is not exactly <laughs> what I imagine when I think of agriculture. It's like some some person in a nice air-conditioned house, you know, picking corn or or, or however he's <laughs> when, you know, whatever he's doing. Like that's pretty cool." Yeah, no, definitely, and that's that's kind of one of the most one of my most favorite aspects of of having this conversation with people who aren't as familiar with agriculture because they have such a um, like a not, not to say a lack of, of understanding but like there's just there's they miss that part of agriculture and that there's an entire technological aspect that is massively important to the production of our food and so just to give an example so there there are robots i guess you could say they perform a lot of different tasks on the farm and some of the ones i like to to more specifically name are they have robots that pick food very specific food because not all food can be picked uh, mechanically because they're either too delicate or there's a certain way you have to pick it that won't damage the tree or the fruit so they have to pick it with uh, manual labor but there's a lot of foods excuse me there are a lot there's a lot of foods that are picked by machine so they have robots that go out there and they can uh, harvest this this crop off of the uh, plant without having to harm the plant, without having to harm the land around the plant. They just go in, they get the food, they put it in a, a tray or whatever, and they take it out without there having to be any manual labor involved. Uh, there's also so drone... You're... Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to... Uh, so that's fascinating to me in that, okay, if you have... How does... I'm imagining... So whenever I'm imagining robots and machine sorting and that kind of thing, I'm thinking of a, a still a pretty mechanical process in that you say, let's say corn, let's use corn as an example. You mm-hmm. get a bunch of, uh, of corn plants, you, you know, maybe cut them off at the base and then you shove it into a machine that sorts it by weight or mm-hmm. by, you know, maybe only maybe a certain hardness of object can make it through. So it cuts all the, you know, it automatically cuts all the, all the, my, my terminology is gonna be all messed up, but the that cuts all the all the green stuff off of mm-hmm. your off of the corn left with only the the corn with the with the sheath on it. If am I making sense? Mm-hmm. But you're t- you're saying something goes up and down the rows and picks the corn for for example. I mean whatever plant that is. Insert insert you know crop here. Uh, so yeah, so it's 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 dependent on the crop. So uh, corn is is a crop that's very difficult to pick just right off of the crop and not have to actually chop up the corn stalk. So it's it's very dependent on the plant. I'm not sure that there's any machines that can just directly pick corn as a cob straight off the stock without uh, having to destroy the stock in the process. But I know that there are crops, especially in the tree industry, with you know nuts and with uh, you know some some forms of fruit and, and other uh, uh, tree or like kind of more I guess more, more per- permanent crop styles 
that are like apple trees or cherry trees or exactly whatever. so like there there's some of those that are a lot easier to pick mechanically because the tree's going to grow more whereas a corn stalk if you pick that corn off it's not going to grow any more corn so you have to basically restart so there's there's certain crops that it works for a lot better than others but sure. um in in the same sense that that machine that's designed to harvest corn can harvest corn autonomously and it it can do it a lot more effectively than a human can more often than not so let's use the tr- let's use the tree as an example. I wanted to. Mm. Um, sorry if I keep stopping you mid thought, but I, I'm good. just as I'm grabbing things in my head. <laughs> so I'm thinking of something autonomous. So you're not saying a, a something shakes the apple tree until all the apples fall out into a bucket. You, something is actually picking an apple. Does it pick them an apple at a time? How does I would think that efficiency would be very difficult to have a robot that could recognize this is an apple. I want to pull the apple out of the tree in such a way that doesn't bruise the apple mm-hmm. and do this many, many times you know, in a second to such that it's quick and efficient because also these robots cannot be cheap. Um, so I would think it would take a while for your return on investment to, to pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, apple may not be the best example, but a plant, a, a, a crop like that where something automated Mm. so the crop you're starting to get into the um kind of the, the biggest issue and and solution to agriculture right now is and that's how do we make this technology so efficient but also affordable that it can be actively used in the agricultural uh, industry effectively and so that is something that is kind of up for debate right now because there's a lot of technologies that are up and coming that are are that they're that precise they could maybe not necessarily with apples because a lot of those softer fruits are very uh difficult to to pick mechanically but they actually are designing fruit that can uh harvest like grapes and you know smaller fruit like like certain berries and they can do it mechanically i'm not exactly sure how they do it from a technological perspective but Mm -hmm. they can do it in a way that doesn't damage the fruit nearly as much as it it would uh, with previous technology so there's definitely up and coming technology. There there are some out there that can harvest. Uh, so we have like shakers that for like tree nuts. So uh, walnuts, pistachios, almonds. We have shakers that go out there and they actually shake the tree until the nuts fall off, and it doesn't damage the tree oh, at all. Okay. So, I was kind of joking when I said that. No, okay. no, that's actually a thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you're ever in in an area where they have a lot of uh, tree based foods, uh, especially in, in the nut industry, and you see. They almost look like solar panels, and they just go on either side of a tree, and they just shake the tree literally. And they have a little, uh, they have a little compartment that opens up, and all the nuts just fall into this compartment, and they store it in the machine, take it back, and then that's when they they put them in the packages and send them off to to uh, to uh, processors. That's but, super cool. D- right. Does the robot shake its shake one tree at a time? I mean, let me phrase. Do you have to set the robot up to shake a tree and then it shakes the tree until it's done and then you have to take the robot to the next tree or does it is it smart enough to keep going until it is shaking all the trees by itself? Do you can you just do it like a Roomba, set it and forget it? It just goes <laughs> and shakes all the trees. Um, so I'm going to say that. So I'm 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 no expert on the subject by any means. I don't want to come off of that I am, but um, I think that. You can speak in general terms. I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure if if the shakers are controlled uh, autonomously yet. I know that those are are, are driven by people. Um, I'm sure that there are autonomous versions of these shakers. I, I, I'm not fully positive on that, so I don't want to say that and say, yeah, there's you know there's shakers that drive themselves. There's shakers that are run by AI, but I'm pretty sure there are. Um, but there are either way other, that's super cool right and so there, there's other machines there's tractors and there's harvesters and there's there's uh machines that like um uh, apply pesticides and that sort of thing and they are all programmed like you were saying you can like a Roomba you you map out a um 
uh, basically a pattern through the rows that it has to go through and it just knows to do that you don't have to have it go to one tree and then go reprogram program it to go to the next tree it just kind of has that path already set out for it so it's it's kind of it's a little bit more difficult with with um, machines that are so precise that they have to basically like move a certain distance and then shake and then move a certain distance and shake but it is possible and we have seen it done with certain te uh, certain technologies in certain industries Okay, you're kind of leading up to my next question because um, you had mentioned before that there's some debate on what the best path forward is. Mm. Do you see, do you see it being more worthwhile having two or three general purpose robots? I'm thinking of say an automated tractor that maybe has a instead of having a front end loader, having a having an arm that can also pick fruit. You know, having a, a an all purpose robot or having maybe lots of specialized cheaper robots, um, something that's just a shaker or just plant, just a picker or just a you know something that sprays. Uh, pesticide, etc. Hmm. See, that's an interesting question. So, uh, here in my in my hometown of Tulare, I live in Tulare, California. Uh, we have what's called the World Ag Expo, and that's a a massive. I guess you kind of call it a trade show, but it's not really a trade show. It's it's kind of different. But basically, farmers and agriculturalists and technologists and scientists from all over the world uh, come here, and we have this massive uh, convention, basically for a week long. And it's where they uh, basically showcase brand new technology in the ag industry. They show off new tractors. They show off like they had a um, it's kind of I, I still don't know how it works because it's, it's I don't think they're in product like I don't think they're in mass production yet. But they have like basically a an electric forklift, which was interesting to say the least. Uh, but anyways, they have, they have a bunch of technology they show off at these expos and you're starting to see a lot of that kind of stuff of like, maybe not like, maybe not all purpose, um, robot vehicles, but they, they are starting to get more and more, uh, generalized. And because of the, it's, you know, it's the capitalist effect because they're producing more of them, the prices are going down. And so, because a, a large issue we're having right now in the young industry is that farmers just can't afford this technology, but, the like you were mentioning earlier, the return on investment is is kind of kind of bleak for a lot of farmers. Like when they buy it, it, it puts them so far under underwater that they have a hard time seeing a, a purpose in buying it in the first place. But Wait, the new tractors and stuff are just ridiculously expensive. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's insane how much. I didn't. You, know, you can easily pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a you know for a a personal use tra tractor to say nothing of the cost of you know big huge farming tractors like the one but like something that you would need to run a giant commercial farm yeah no absolutely and and that's actually so the the price of new tractors has gotten so bad that even the price of uh, used tractors is going up and it's, it's kind of hurting the the farmers right now but we have we're, we're actually having a massive issue with labor right now as well and because of that a lot of farmers are trying to go more towards the automation side but they can't afford to or they don't see the return on investment being worth it so they just they're kind of at, at stuck between a rock and a hard place right now and so i think that as time goes on and technology advances and, and there's a lot more competitors in the field because a lot of computer scientists and, and inventors and mechanical engineers are starting to see this as an opportunity and starting to work together with farmers. I think as that progresses, we're going to see cheaper, more affordable, more efficient, more effective uh, equipment and, and technology produced. But right now we're kind of in the baby stage of what we call the fourth gener or the fourth revolution of agriculture. There's, there's been four of them in case you didn't know. <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> what was the last one? Uh, so I actually, I'll, I'll give you a brief history. So the first revolution of agriculture is fairly simple. We went from hunting and gathering to actually farming. That's about it. Uh, the second revolution was kind of the, uh, I guess, like the first technological revolution. That's where we had, you know, um, 
that's where we had like horse uh, horse driven plows and we had like the earliest forms of the tractor and then like as time went on we actually had like more advanced versions of tractors without computers in them obviously but more motorized tractors and then it was a while and we had the green revolution which was i want to say back in the 40s maybe it was a little bit later that's where we started using more chemical pesticides and fertilizers and you know a lot a lot more application t- style stuff on our crops and then now we're getting into the fourth revolution of agriculture which is the automation revolution basically so now we're getting into more um, ai based uh, technology we're getting we're getting into more of like precision ag as as what it's called so like you have machines that can monitor exactly how much water is in certain parts of the soil you can monitor exactly how much sunlight certain crops are getting you can monitor how much life is in uh, certain areas of your field so you know how much to spray for certain pesticides and that sort of thing it's really really precise and really amazing about how the technology works but because of we're in such an early phase of it nobody knows what to do yet interesting so I'm thinking about you said it's harder for farmers to invest in in this equipment themselves. I have a friend of mine who basically I don't know how he got started on this, but he started using drones for uh, he I don't know if he just had a fascination with the drones or what but he ended up making it into a business where he he inspects pipelines with the drones and mm-hmm. companies hire him to do pipeline inspections with drones. So he has an entire fleet of drones and and quite a it's it's quite an operation. I'm very impressed with it. But I'm thinking about would it make sense for a business to buy some of these automated programs, uh, programs, automated robots, and and use and basically lease their services to farmers, and so so the farmers don't take on the risk themselves. Is that something that happens, or is that something that uh, you think would make sense as viable for for an outside business to do some of that? Absolutely. And that, we actually are starting to see that a little bit uh, as time goes on. Farmers are kind of reaching a state that they're not super, um, I don't want to say comfortable with, but they're they're very unfamiliar with. And that's that they're starting to become dependent on other parties to help them out with their operations. So uh, because of regulation, now farmers are, are required to have a veterinarian as part of their uh, inner circle. They have to have a good relationship with the veterinarian to be able to apply certain antibiotics to their animals. Uh, so there's and, and now we're starting to see if, if a farmer wants to use drones, they have to get a special pilot's license. They have to get special certification to use that kind of technology. And so a lot of farmers are either don't have the time or they don't have the just a, a interest, really, to, to invest in that sort of, of endeavor. So they are actually reaching out to third parties or actually your third parties are reaching out to them and saying, hey, well, you know, let's let's work two ways here. So basically, somebody who who knows how to pilot drones, who or maybe who knows how to build drones, or you know maybe they'll work with a couple different companies, will come out and they'll fly the drone over their field. They'll tell them what they what they need to look for. The farmer will kind of work with them on what uh, the information is that they're trying to get out of it, and that way both parties are benefiting from it. So you actually are seeing a lot more of that. Like I said, there's there's been a, a new wave of communication between farmers and other industries especially in like the computer scientists and mechanical engineering industries because of this new uh revolution of agriculture okay yeah because that would make sense to me in that in that the the farmer and plus in some ways you know because so much especially with crops less so with animals but it's so seasonal that i could see it being difficult to justify okay why am i going to buy you know a hundred thousand dollar apple picking robot whenever I only pick apples, you know, 
three times a year. I don't, I don't know what the timing is, but you know, I only do it three times a year. So you know, why would I right. want to spend that much money whenever it, it doesn't take me that much longer to do this myself? Whereas yeah, no, exactly. I could you know, pay a fee and have one guy do it in an hour with his fancy robot. And then, and then you don't have to store it. You don't have to maintain it, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And, and labor costs are a big thing too. Uh, like I said, we're, we're having a bit of a labor shortage in the agriculture industry right now, because for one, kids don't, have an interest in ag anymore. I mean, not nearly as much as they used to. A, a lot of kids who are going into uh, the the occupational field are not looking towards agricultural jobs. And a lot of kids who are just, and when I say kids, I mean, you know, gr- like high school graduates are, are not looking towards that sort of, like not like, you know, child labor kind of kids. But um, we're also not seeing a lot kids of like, these days. <laughs> we're also not, we're, we used to, ha- we used to see a lot of labor come from like immigration or, you know, if, if people had like, uh, like from lower income families, people would work on farms because it was cheap and easy labor and they got pretty good benefits from it. I mean, like in order to get someone to work on a farm, you have to pay them a pretty decent price because that's a lot of work to put in. So farm workers actually get paid a lot more than most minimum wage workers. And people don't realize that they just think that farm working is like the worst thing ever. And so they don't really look into it a whole lot. So this labor shortage has kind of really impacted the technology industry and the agriculture industries to start becoming one thing pretty much. Yeah, I did some hay hauling whenever I was in high school and it didn't pay great, but it paid you know, almost double my minimum wage job. So mm-hmm. it, it was, now I earned it. <laughs> it was it was hard work. <laughs> if yeah. you've never hauled hay before, hauling square bales, but oh, yeah. uh, it was, yeah, but yeah, like I said, it's not bad pay, and and it, and they still, you know, the farmers still make a good, a good profit. I think square bales at the time was running, I don't know, four bucks a bale, something like mm. that, and so you know, we're, we were touching a whole lot more than four bales a minute, you know, so <laughs> we, we we were we were moving right along. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's that's the other thing, and you know, we we have to go into the entire history of the labor force, but that's just, I mean, that's a big thing. Like kids used to grow up working on on farms that's where they got most of their experience about you know just life and and how to earn what you live for and that's just that was like a big thing it was you know i always grew up like you know working on my my brother-in-law's dairies or i'd work on family friends farms and i would help out just you know that taught me a whole lot about responsibility and about you know hard work and like you said earning what you what you earn (laughs) but um, yeah yeah so i think that it's a good I, i think it'd be a good thing to encourage kids to kind of get into that more but it's just not something we're seeing quite as much as we used to yeah, and sorry, you can make an audio note here. I didn't realize my laptop wasn't plugged in, so I just plugged it in. There's a whole awful beating and banging, so feel <laughs> no free worries. to edit that out. That is okay. <laughs> no worries. Um, I'm just so looking at all these sharp waveforms. I'm like, oh man, that's that doesn't that's going to be pretty to listen to. Yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll scan through and, and try to see if I can catch it. But, um, if not, it's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, was there anything else on your list you wanted to go over? Um, I mean, honestly, we touched on a lot of it. Um, it just in passing. Um, mm. One, one, just small note for drones. What do what are farmers inspecting when they're looking for when they're using their drones? Are they looking to see when a crop is ready to harvest? Are they looking for um, you know breaks and fence? What are what are they looking for typically when they're using when they're flying drones or having somebody fly a drone? Mm, that's an excellent question. So this is one of my favorite aspects of ag technology, and that that's because like drones are something that are are they're such an interesting form of technology that it's like they're kind of new but they're kind of not new anymore and like we've always kind of known drones have been a thing but their their usage has always been somewhat ambiguous because the only drones we know of that are actually used for anything 
uh, in consumer life is pretty much just like video kind of stuff. And like they don't really do a whole lot more than, than just get cool shots of stuff. And I, I mean, at least I don't know. I know they have like drone racing and stuff like that, but like I don't know of, of much more usage that they have in, you know, in your average life. Like you don't, you don't go buy a drone to use it for something special. You just want it either to take pictures or just to play around with it pretty much. Yeah, and, I, I seen Mark Rober do. Uh, he did something for Team Trees where he was planting. Nice. They used something to plant trees with the drones, which was pretty cool. Um, I don't yeah. remember exactly how it worked, but it was pretty pretty sweet. And that's that's an application of, of drone usage that we don't really see a whole lot. And and it always kind of surprises people when I tell them that drones, like the most technologically advanced drones that we have, are used by agriculture. I mean, maybe the military has better, but that's just because we don't know what they have. But Agriculture has incredibly advanced drone technology, and they use it for all sorts of things. So a few years ago, there was a lot of controversy over whether or not farmers should be allowed to use drones because there was privacy issues of them flying over their neighbor's backyard and stuff, but that's beside the point. Over time, as, as that kind of got looked past and drones became more of an application uh, use instead of just... So originally, drones were used just to kind of watch over your farm. They were basically a moving security camera. They could fly around and make sure your cows were all on the pen they're supposed to be in. They could fly over your field and make sure that everything was looking okay. Basically, that way, the, the farmer didn't have to do his daily drive-by in, in the morning to make sure everything was, was where it's supposed to be. And so that was kind of like the earliest stage of drone technology. And since then, it's just it's evolved so much and so quickly. Now they're used for all sorts of things. They can be used, I mean, just, just on the crop side of things, they can be used to apply pesticides on like a small scale area. And like, let's say that there's a part of your farm that you want to spray that you don't want to spray the rest of your field. Just take your drone over and you can spray that area. Or they could be used uh, along with, like, like I said, that, preci- that precision ag technology where they could like scan a field and say, okay, there's heat signatures in this part of your field. You have uh, a bunch of bugs over here you need to go spray. Or there's there's a high there's a high concentration of moisture uh, over here in this area, so your soil is doing really well. Or you can uh, you can use them to like kind of cooperate with your irrigation system. So you can say, okay, that that should be getting water right about now, and there's a low mo- moisture content. Your irrigation system isn't working. And so like, there's a lot of a lot of new and kind of exciting technology used with with drone use. And like you said, there's there's planting mechanics they can now use where they fly by and they actually plant seeds. Basically, drones are like almost in in a sense like kind of a a mini version of a tractor more or less, which is kind of exciting because they can fly and they're fast and they're very precise and the technology that they can be uh, that can be applied to them is almost identical if not more technologically advanced than what can be applied to our current tractors with GPS and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different applications for drones and people don't really realize that that much uh, concentration of, of precision goes into farming. How do farmers get past the, because you got battery limitations with a drone. Mm-hmm. So just a regular consumer drone, you, you get about 15 minutes out of a charge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know you can get more battery packs and that kind of stuff, but whenever you have a drone carrying a payload, like, like pesticide or something like that, or seeds, how do they, cause I assume that has to suck battery a whole lot more than, than just a regular old consumer drone. So do they counteract that with you know bigger battery packs? What do they do? So that's actually a really good point because I uh, did an interview with a drone producing company. Uh, they produce a, a special drone called the Bulldog UAV. Uh, the company's called Ultravance in case you were wanting to look them up. Uh, they're awesome people. They have a great product. I'm not sponsored, by the way. Um, but mm-hmm. the 
the thing that they were talking about was a, a big issue with drones for a really long time is exactly what you mentioned. The battery life was killing them. I mean, they even had higher tech drones that could fly by and basically monitor cows and make sure that the cows were where they're supposed to be. And they'd make like an hour into their routine and they would die. And so like even an hour is pushing it for what most drones can usually do. And that was kind of incredible, but an hour is not nearly enough to inspect an entire area and make it back to the home in time. So there was a lot of kind of like basically the what they try to do with the bulldog uav is rework everything that they knew about drones to try to make that battery life last longer and that was their primary focus and they actually made it last like two or three hours and then it comes back switches batteries and it can last another two or three hours so they're basically the drone industry is is working really hard to uh, develop <coughs> a lot stronger batteries a lot more uh technologically advanced drones that can carry lighter or they can carry heavy weight without without it putting too much on the battery uh they have switchable batteries that are are fast charged now they have all kinds of different things that are helping out drones i'm not sure if they have any solar powered drones i'd be curious to see if that's a thing or not but they're they're definitely battery life has definitely been a primary focus and a primary issue with the drone industry so far so they've been working really hard to fix it are most of the drones used by farmers are they automated or are they operated by a pilot uh, so it kind of depends. They have, I, th- I would say most are probably operated by a pilot and that's where the, they usually have a third party come in, somebody who has certification to fly it. Uh, they usually operate it and do all the stuff that needs to be done. They do have drones that are automated. Uh, they have a GPS system in them that, that tracks the, the path. Like, let's say it's a spraying drone. They have a GPS system in them that, that tracks the path of where the drone needs to spray and it just goes and does it and then flies back. It's like a Roomba. It just goes back to his docking station. But I would say more often than not, you have somebody behind the wheel making sure that drone gets to where it needs to get to. Or if it's a monitoring drone, they, they have it so they can actually watch the monitor and make sure it, it's scanning the right thing and, and getting the right information down. But there are even some farmers uh, who have kids who are like, you know, in, in their uh, early 20s, maybe early, maybe early 30s that are kind of looking into taking up the family farm, but are looking to expand the technological utility of, of that kind of stuff. And they're actually getting certified uh, to fly drones for that intended purpose. That way they don't have to pay a third party to come in and do it. They can just do it themselves, and then once they take over the farm, they already know how to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I hope that answered your question okay. Yes, yes, no, that's good stuff. So I had one last question. It's probably a big one, but I'm thinking about how... You know, we were kind of talking about the all-purpose robot versus the specif- the specific robot. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that one of the that one of the easiest and also most difficult machines to automate would be a tractor. In that, a tractor is slow, and it should you know there's a lot of room for sensors and that kind of stuff. A lot of room for putting giant batteries if you wanted to make it you know battery powered, mm-hmm. etc. But also, you know, that's just the driving part. That would be relatively easy, but tractors are so all-purpose. You use them for bush hogging. You use them for plowing. You use them for so many different things. I would think having it smart enough to be automatic would be difficult. Am I overthinking that or underthinking that? What is, uh, What do you see as far as the viability of an automated tractor? Would that be something that could could be, do you think? So I'm trying to think of how to accurately answer that basically so if i'm understanding your question right basically like is is it is it feasible for an automated tractor to be because it does so many jobs Mm. could the bulk of their jobs be automated in one machine is it is it smart enough or are we smart enough to make the tractor smart enough (laughs) 
Um, I think I think so. I think that it would take uh, a lot of time for that kind of, uh, basically for it to be able to, to pull that kind of weight to, to be able to handle all those different jobs so easily. Uh, I know that there are tractors who are already automated, but they usually have, like I said, they have one intended purpose or if they have different purposes, they they have to do something different to the programming to make them do different purposes. It's not just the automation can automatically change to whatever you need to do instantly. There's there's certain types of programming that have to be involved. But there are I know for a fact there's there's almost completely if if not completely autonomous driving tractors already. They have GPS in them that they they can go by and they can spray a field. They can plant. They can do whatever they got to do. But if you have an all-purpose tractor, more often than not, it's, it's going to be cheaper just to not automate them because the amount of time and effort and, and energy and, and money that's going to go into switching over their programming for all those different tasks, it'd almost be cheaper just to get a whole new tractor for that task. So That would make sense, yeah. I, I would think, and I could be wrong about this, like I said, I'm no expert, but this is just from what I've seen from my research and from talking to farmers who use this kind of stuff, I would think that it may be possible in the future to have something that could just switch jobs that easily. But more often than not, if they're going to need automated tractors, they're going to need a certain tractor for a certain purpose. And they don't want to change that purpose more if they can avoid it. To my technological brain, I would think a modular tractor would make the most sense. And the the easiest way to do something like that would be you have a tractor that already has the main brain. And then when you hook up the bush hog, for example, it's smart enough to know, okay, I'm in bush hog mode now and mm. I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, bush hog the field. And then you connect the front end loader and it, it, that, that may be more generic, but maybe you connect the, the, um, the hay cutter. It's like, okay, I know I'm going to go, I know where the hay field is at whenever you connect the hay cutter. So I'm going to go cut hay now. Um, I would think that would be the best way to do it rather than try and program one tractor for all the different tasks that it could do. And you may not ever need those tasks if you're buying a tractor for just a handful of purposes. Right. No, exactly. And, and having that, having that utility would be really nice if, if they, like you said, if you can just put the attachment on there and the tractor just knows, okay, I can go do this thing now. But like you said, it, it, it'd be almost impossible to know just what, somebody who's buying that tractor would need it for, so they can't really program it beforehand to have all of those features in it and expect it to be super affordable. So there's definitely room to grow in that area. And like I said, this is all very new technology, so over the next few years we're going to see advancements that we can't even imagine, and I'm very excited to see what they come out with. But as, as the technology stands right now, I think that they're going to remain fairly uh, one purpose or, or very few purposes just just because of the technological limitations we have right now. And it's incredibly difficult. I mean, you know, you see Tesla trying to make, you know, trying to make self-driving cars, and it is so difficult to make a car stay on the road and not run over the other cars. You know, so yeah. you think of the intricacies of, of, you know, picking crops and planting crops and all that stuff. There's a lot that goes into that. That has got to be an incredibly difficult problem. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and when you're handling something as delicate and as as vital as food there's really no room for error so i i think that it'd be uh in the farmer's best interest to try to just actually in in everyone involved's best interest to try to just to keep it as they can do their job as best as possible as as they can possibly make it that way they they don't have to like if you confuse it too much and have too many different things going on you run the risk of them doing something that could detrimentalize the the crop and that's not what we're trying to do here yeah, exactly. So, uh, was was there anything else? On, I I know you said that was kind of one of your your big questions. Was there anything else on your list you wanted to cover? I had one last very very important question that absolutely must be answered with one hundred percent seriousness. Okay. 
<laughs> um, so you let it be known to me off of the mic that you are a Star Wars fan. I am. Um, mm-hmm. And so I am curious what Star Wars robot in the Star Wars canon would make the best farming robot. Oh, man. Um, you know, I think that... So I'm, I'm a diehard R2-D2 fan, and I think that he would probably be the most helpful uh farming robot if i were to if i were to say because c3po would be a good farm manager um but he's pretty fussy though he is pretty fussy and he would like a a cow a cow would just like flick its tail and knock him over and he would just be upset for the rest of the day so it's like (laughs) you you really can't depend on him to to get the job done but r2d2 is like he's loyal to whoever needs him to do whatever he needs him to do so like you know like i said it's like anakin and luke is running the farm like let's say like it's Luca on his moisture farm. Like they bought the robots to to help out on the farm, presumably. If they had R two D two there and and he said, hey R two, can you go do this thing? He's gonna get it done because he's loyal to his owner. So I think that I mean there's a lot of robots out in out in the universe of of Star Wars that would be fun to to see. Um, I can't remember what his name is. The robot from Rogue One would be very interesting, but he's also like super. Oh, the snarky, snarky one. Yeah, yeah he would be fun <laughs> he, he'd be very interesting to see work on a farm but he'd also like probably wouldn't get any work done just because he'd be so mad at everyone all the time yeah yeah <laughs> well i'm thinking r2d2 would be a good like he'd pilot a tractor you know because he's, yeah. he's used to piloting x-wings and then right like see i think c3 pro you were on onto something with the management thing though because if you especially if you have a lot of different people working on your farm maybe who all speak different languages and things like that he could interface with them because he had he you know he's a he's a communication droid so he can he could easily talk to the various people in their own language and and be able to really broaden your workforce that way that actually is a really good point because that is a big problem for a lot of uh farmers in their workforce is the language barrier they usually have to hire a manager who's bilingual that way they can communicate between the workers and the and the owner so having a protocol droid like that that would that would be able to translate would be actually extremely helpful but i just I don't, I don't want to see C-3PO on a farm. That's not going to go well. <laughs> but R2-D2, on the other hand, I like the idea like of, of, of a tractor that just has like an astromech uh, port for him to just sit in, and he's just driving the tractor around the field. See, like, that would be way cheaper than having to automate the entire tractor. You just have the one little robot who, who pilots yeah. it, so... Yeah, there you no, go. We, we, just, awesome. we just solved egg. The, there we go. There you Perfect. go. You just have to build R2-D2, and you got it. Exactly. All right. Good deal. that that was a very good question i was very happy about that (laughs) (laughs) good good i actually did have a question uh for you on on a similar i actually meant to mention this earlier um but i completely forgot and i I, I looked down on my notes and i was like oh i forgot to talk about this so upon listening to the first episode of your podcast uh which for for our viewers who who did not know I think I mentioned in the last episode, but uh, Patrick here runs a podcast uh, called Silly Mundane Things, and it's excellent. It's only three episodes, which is not enough, but um, <laughs> it's it's very it's a very nice just kind of like relaxation. You know, turn your brain off and just listen to a kind of podcast. Very entertaining, very goofy. And in the first episode, you guys talked about Stardew Valley. Yes, yes, <laughs> big Stardew Valley fans. We actually did a whole episode where we talked about Stardew quite a lot, but that's not released yet. It will come mm. soon. Mm. See, I am a big fan of Stardew Valley as well. I my sister and I grew up playing Harvest Moon. So and we, oh, nice, yeah, me yeah. too. I mean, my and, sister did too. And then I got into Stardew Valley uh, when as soon as I got my Switch. It was the first. It was one of the first games I bought on the on the store. So, um, I when listening to that episode, I I just it clicked in my mind. So this guy's played a somewhat of a farming simulator style game, 
and he hasn't made any Stardew Valley references yet. <laughs> that, that I know, right? I, I, I should have I should have brought my star drop. <laughs> so I was gonna make a, I was gonna make an analogy at the beginning of this episode when I, when you were talking about uh, the technological advancement of agriculture. I was gonna say, so you know how in Stardew Valley when you start off, you have your your little sprinkler. It's like very basic. You can only hit like four tiles. Yes. And yes, as you, the, the first thing I do is upgrade those sprinklers. Exactly. As you progress through the game, you have to upgrade and get better sprinklers because you obviously need to water your crops. But it's it's so it takes so long to go out there every morning and water them individually yourself that basically the entire day is gone by the time you water your field. So imagine that, and and you also have no workforce. Like people can't work for you in that game. You can't like you can have a kid, but he never grows up to work with you, which I still think is stupid. But there's there's no. I mean, your wife can help you occasionally. But that's about it. Like there's there's very little you can actually do to uh, increase the productivity of your farm besides increasing the ability of your sprinkler reach, basically. So you can get the pickers for the uh, for the for the chickens and the and the cows, which helps a lot. Trying to get the get the milk and eggs picked up, but it's still there's still a lot of daily minutiae that you have to manage. That's true. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's just a lot that goes into it. But upgrading your technology. It definitely helps increase that 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 process's efficiency. Oh, for sure. So I would use that analogy to describe agriculture. So as an industry, we have a tedious task of every day having to do the same things over and over and over again to make sure that our uh, food is as safe and as healthy and as 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 uh, bountiful as possible. If we have the ability, we want to upgrade our technology as much as we can. That way we can make those daily tasks shorter and easier. That way we have more time to do other stuff to make our food even better. So that's kind of my analogy I like to throw in there. As, as someone who understands what I'm saying when I say that, uh, there's a certain level of kind of like corner cutting that, that comes into it. Like whenever you're able to do that, there's so much more you can do with your day now because you saved, what, five minutes watering plants? <laughs> Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it, it, especially with farming, there's always something more that you can do. And in Stardew, there's always something else that you need to be doing. You need to go exactly. catch the fish. You need to go to the mine. You need to do whatever. You never have enough energy or daytime. Exactly. Especially if you're playing multiplayer, because multiplayer there's no pausing, so you have to be very efficient. Uh, <laughs> there's many a time Becky and I would be playing a day, and we're just like, oh no, this just totally messed up. Do you want to start <laughs> over? It's like, yep, let's start over. This I, I did not get done what I needed to get done. <laughs> and I definitely relate to that a lot. Whenever I play Stardew Valley, there's so many times I'm just like, do I really want to just keep going with this day? I already wasted like five minutes doing something I should not have been doing. I'm just going to restart. So unfortunately, farmers don't get that option. They have to finish each day as it goes. But yeah, that game... For as goofy and, and cartoony and silly as it is, like my sister made fun of me for weeks because I was trying to woo a girl with salad every day, which is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, who, who, who's, who's the girl? Who's the girl? Leah. Leah. Oh, man. I, my uh, So our episode that we did, uh, the starting episode that's not been released yet, our our guest we had on there, Leah was the one he, he would woo. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was no, very Leah, funny. Leah's great. But um, so that entire game as as, for as goofy and quirky as it is is like one of the most accurate games i've ever seen in terms of relating to agriculture because it's time goes by so much faster than you think it does and you have so much to do and no time to do it so you have to find like the most efficient ways to get things done that you have more time to do other stuff that you need to do and that's like i can't think of a better analogy for farming than that yeah, no, I agree. It's awesome. I love, I love starting. And and yes, it, it relates to. I can't relate to farming as much, but just your day in general. It's like if you're if you're managing anything, it's like oh, there's always someone something else you could be doing. And 
and so yeah I, I i appreciate the time management part of stardew absolutely and that that is a big i think that's kind of the purpose of the game is to try to teach you time management skills which is ironic because you're playing a video game learning about time management but um i i wanted to kind of throw that reference in there because i thought that might make you appreciate the uh the process a little bit more of, of technological advancement in, in ag very much my co-host would enjoy it even more she is she's deeper in the stardew than i am mm. I haven't, I haven't got to have kids yet. Yeah, I, I haven't either. I want to. I want to. I want to fire it back up. After we get done this episode, I might actually fire up my file and and go feed my chickens. Ah, that'll be good. <laughs> actually, that, that that reminds me of another robot that I forgot to mention. We actually have robot milkers and robot iodine dippers. Really? Mm-hmm. So I knew I knew milking was relatively uh was relatively automated, but you still had to attach the milker to the cow. But so there's robots that will do that automatically. You put the cow on the chute, and it'll automatically do the job pretty much so it's it's not uh, quite as common of a practice as it sounds there like not every like very there's actually very few dairies that use automated milking but it is rapidly becoming a newer and more uh, kind of feasible way of milking rather than having a whole work staff that's there having to milk you know at at four in the morning and then again at you know seven o'clock at night or whatever they actually have a so a lot of a lot of dairies are kind of going into a, a system of having uh, trackers on their cows that can actually monitor like the heart the heart rate of the cow, how many steps they take. All kind of, I think I might, I might mention that last episode. I can't remember for sure. Um, I remember that? That sounds fascinating. If you did, I apologize for not remembering. <laughs> I, but that, no, that sounds I, very I, cool. I talk about this stuff way too much. I forget who I tell what. But um, yeah, they have they have trackers on their cows that say like you know how how many steps they've taken, how much water they've drinking today, how much they you know how much food they've consumed, and it's all it's all related to like the the thermo energy in their body. You can track all that kind of stuff and say you know what's going on in their body, and so it can like tell like when they're in heat, when they're ready to be bred again, uh, if they if they're pregnant, how far along they are, how their baby's doing, like all that stuff. It's really really exciting and, and interesting, and. A lot of farmers, or, or a lot of dairymen, rather, are kind of going into the idea of having those uh, cows, like, on basically, like, weighted pressure plates while they're being milked, and that weighted pressure plate weighs them, the the tracker, it, like, scans into a computer, and it, it uh, puts all the information into a database, and that way they have information on the cow, and they know, okay, this ear tag is, is this weight, and she's eating this much, she's taking this many steps, and they can actually see if there's massive differences in behavior, they can say, okay, that cow is sick, we need to go see what's wrong with her. And so all of that has kind of tied into the idea of having more automated systems of taking care of the cows. And you're never going to be able to to completely replace human work on the farm because humans are what make the farm run and there there needs to be a certain level of humanity in there or else it's just it's not going to work properly. But there are a lot of jobs that are being um, filled by automation and milking is actually one of them that's kind of up and coming so they actually have a machine that's it's just like a a metallic arm and when i say arm i don't mean like a like a physical human looking arm with a hand on it it's like it's just a metallic bar uh that that extends like a mic boom arm type thing yeah exactly exactly so it it extends out and it has the uh the milk um what do you call it milk machine the 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 what you actually put on the udder to to get all the milk out of it and you, it actually moves to where the cow is supposed to be because each cow is, cows are roughly the same length of body if they're all the same breed. So Holsteins and Jerseys are all roughly the same length of body. And so they, I actually don't know what the length is, so I couldn't tell you, but they have the, the, uh, the milk machine kind of uh, programmed to be about where the udder should be lengthwise on the cow. And then it just slowly moves up. They, they try not to move it too quickly. That way it doesn't spook the cow. It doesn't hurt it. It doesn't do anything like that. It just slowly moves up until the udder is aligned with it. And then it 
pretty much attaches itself. And then once the cow is milked, they have the arm come back up, retrieve the milking machine, and they put it back away. And then all the milk gets gets sorted and does whatever it's gonna do. But um, and actually during that process, they have they have uh, like health monitors that are tracking the cow while it's being milked too, so they can see what the health of the milk looks like, if the cow's producing enough, if she's you know all all this kind of stuff, the the, the metabolism of the cow. It's kind of incredible the kind of technology they're using to monitor cows. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Like, <laughs> like that is super, super cool, and it sounds incredibly difficult because when you're dealing with something, because cows are relatively not docile, but they're relatively chill if you don't yeah. spook them. Mm-hmm. But even still, that that that's a that is an incredible feat of engineering to be able to make a robot that can anticipate some of that and then do it without you know spooking the cow and getting the very expensive robot destroyed by a scared cow. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's that's a really big deal about about a lot of animal agriculture technology is is making sure that the animal is as comfortable as possible, and that's part of the reason why automation is being implemented as well is because animals produce their best product when they are comfortable and when they're calm. If you stress out an animal, its its meat is going to taste really bad, or its milk is going to taste really bad, or its eggs are going to taste really bad stress lowers the quality of the product and so by that standard it makes no sense to stress out cows for example more than you need to so having an environment where they have like a soft bed to lay on they have good food to eat they have proper exercise and water available they have a healthy environment to have their calf and then their calf is taken care of and then they are milked that way because if a cow walks around with milk too long in its body it starts to develop a kind of toxicity to it and it can actually harm and sometimes kill the cow if they're not milked for, for a long period of time. And so it's, it's very, almost vitally important to both the cow and the farmer that that cow gets milked. And so all of everything that goes into the milk extraction uh, process is for the comfort and the well-being of that cow. And that's kind of where automation goes as far as the animal agriculture industry goes, is making sure that animal is as comfortable and healthy as it possibly can be. That's super interesting, and I guess that's also why free-range animals are a thing. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And and for the for those operations that aren't free-range, they're trying to find ways to adapt that can be more comforting for that animal. Because uh, free-range isn't always an option just because of land restrictions. You know, there's there's obviously uh, animal agriculture operations that don't have pasture land available, or there's just not pasture land available to have an operation on. So they have to kind of go into more of what's called a, a CAFO or a CAFO a confined animal feeding operation and that's where animals are kind of kept in pens or or in you know corrals or or barns or that sort of thing and they're just fed out where they are but um in order to accommodate for that they have they have regulations and they have restrictions and they have you know even like personal choices on how to make that that animal as comfortable and as happy as possible because happy cows make good milk and everybody wants happy cows so they can have happy good milk so that makes sense to me that's right and also on that same note, just just to mention it because it just came to mind, we also have what's called the robot the robot dipper, and not dipper like in Gravity Falls, but dipper as in a um, another mechanical arm that comes out and it has a little uh, kind of like a little spray gun on it, I guess you could say. And whenever the cow is underneath it, uh, it actually shoots iodine onto the cow's udder, which disinfects it and it prevents it from bacteria spreading it and getting that cow infected and sick. So. That's also a thing that's actually a lot more common than the robotic milker. That's pretty crazy. I, I didn't even. I, I've never done milking myself, uh, although I've known people who had. So I, I wasn't even. I didn't even know about the iodine, but that totally makes sense to, for disinfectant. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, that's that's actually a vital process in in milking. Is whenever you are done milking a, a cow, you have to make sure you dip it in iodine, or else that cow runs the risk of being infected and getting sick. And 
uh, obviously, like I said earlier, an, an unhealthy cow or a sick cow or an uncomfortable cow is not going to produce a good product. So we need, really need to focus on keeping that cow healthy and, and happy. So iodine is a, is a big friend of cows. Is that from the milker itself, or is it just because the the fact that they have been milked um, can cause infection? Uh, the so in terms of like uh, just like being exposed to the milk machine would, would cause an infection, or, or would the, correct? Your, okay, so yeah. uh, the iodine is more or less uh, it's kind of like an all like an all purpose uh, protective uh, agent to use. So yeah, because you're putting the same milk machine on different cows i mean it gets cleaned but because you're putting the same milk machine on different cows all the time you run the risk of kind of just spreading bacteria that could cause that cow infection but overall i mean those cows are laying out in you know in dirt or in almond holes or they're just out in you know they're out in the middle of the open all the time so there's just always a risk of bacteria being present and so like they try to keep the pens as clean as possible but they can't always catch everything so it's just kind of better to be safe than sorry because after a cow's getting milked uh, they are more vulnerable to infection and more vulnerable to uh, getting that bacteria up inside their udder. So it's, it's really important to try to keep that protected until the next milking. Ah, okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think that's all I can think of as far as robots go. Um, I went over crops that can't be picked mechanically. That was on my list. I think that's everything. So do you have any other questions for me as far as ag technology or pretty much anything else in ag goes? Um I know, I know we didn't talk about, talk about biotechnology much, but that's on, on the agenda as well if, if you were curious about it. Um, I don't even know how to ask that in, a, in an educated <laughs> manner, but uh, I, I'd be interested to learn. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, biotechnology, well, I'm assuming you know what GMO is. I think we talked about this last episode. You defined it, but I don't know exactly. Okay. I don't know exactly how it works. So biotechnology and GMOs are very similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. So I'll, I'll explain. So a GMO or a genetically modified organism is by definition, just anything that has gene modified. So technically something that's been crossbred or something that's been naturally adapted to its environment is a GMO, but everyone disagrees w- with everyone else on that. That's kind of a big debate. So the dictionary definition or what somebody naturally would consider a GMO is something that has had its genetic code, uh, artificially altered so basically like i'll give you an example we have a there's a gmo out there called golden rice and golden rice is just regular white rice but it has a higher uh, amount of beta carotene in it so they they literally take uh, a gene from another crop i think it's carrots and they put it into uh, this rice and it makes it kind of a golden brown color and that makes it higher in vitamin a or at least the the uh the non-active version of vitamin a so that way and they actually fed it to kids in developing countries that have like anemia and they're having uh, eyesight issues and they they made that a staple in their diet that way they had the the uh, vitamin a that was not present in their diet quite as much so that's the bare basics of what a gmo is basically they just have a gene that's not uh, that's kind of foreign to their species and introduced to their genome and that changes their function as a food Okay, so tell me this: Why are GMOs such a hot topic, no-no in a lot of circles? Like, like you see so many foods advertised as non-GMO and this and that. Um, mm. And when you know, basically any food is a ver- variation of a GMO. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, and don't quote me on this as a, not a farmer, but uh, my understanding is carrots were not naturally orange; they were 
purple, I think, and then they got bred to be orange for some reason or another, and then that just become, that's what a carrot is, carrots are orange, but that's not their natural, or that wasn't, the original carrot was not orange, and you may feel free to correct me, <laughs> but, uh, so yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the actual carrot uh, backstory, I do know corn has a very interesting backstory, and I'll see if I, if I can remember to send you a picture of what the earliest version of corn looked like, but um, basically, yeah, Crossbreeding has been involved in agriculture for as long as agriculture has existed as an as an industry. Uh, it's it's something that we as as a society have have deemed to be a natural and healthy process to producing better results for things. I mean, I can't imagine that most people have dogs that are purebred. Most of them are crossbred of some kind, and if they're purebred, even then they're not exactly how they were when that dog species emerged evolutionarily. I mean, everything came from something else at, at one point, and and it was crossbred down to what we have today. Most people aren't even purebreds, so having that understanding is is vital for interpreting the GMO issue. Um, but basically, it's 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 a hot topic because there's a bunch of reasons it's a hot topic. But I'll just go over a few of them. It's a hot topic because people are somewhat um, misinformed about what a GMO actually means. And there's there's kind of a, a scare, I guess you could say, about what a GMO actually is and, and what it uh, what consequences are aligned with GMOs. So GMOs have been around for, I guess, roughly twenty, a little over twenty years. Uh, so the first GMO that was ever introduced to the markets was the Flavor Saver Tomato. That was back in nineteen ninety six. I want to say it might, be, it might have been ninety four, but I think it was ninety six. My dates are always kind of fuzzy, but. Uh, that tomato was was genetically modified uh, by having a gene of another, I think it was a, another fruit. I can't remember what, what the gene came from now, but basically it made that tomato last longer in the sh- in, on the shelf. It didn't it wouldn't rot as, as quickly. And ever since then, we've had GMOs all over our markets. There's not as many as people think. There's only about nine crops that are actually GMOs. Like GMO by the definition of they've actually had their genes altered uh, artificially. But there's a lot more GMOs that people than people imagine. So if, if you see non-GMO corn, I I challenge you to find me non-GMO corn. About 98% of all corn is genetically modified. It's very hard to find non-GMO corn. But the reason for that is because there's certain benefits, there's actually a lot of benefits to genetically modifying that is is kind of the inspiration for why we have food at the at the abundancy that we have it now so basically gmos do a lot of different things they they can produce uh, shelf life they can produce a longer shelf life they can produce a, a greater yield they have higher health benefits some of them have nutritional uh, changes like, like i said with the golden rice um, they have all kinds of different benefits and a lot of them are as simple as we just don't have the land to produce as much food as we need to produce for our population so we need to adapt to it and gmos are the adaptation People just don't like that. And so there's been a lot of misconceptions around GMOs. You see the non-GMO label. So before I go into the whole label thing, let me let me ask you. If, if you were to, to see two individuals that go to the gym every day, and one of them says, um, you know, at like basically like they're, they're both just shredded, huge-looking dudes, and they're standing next to each other, and one of them looks at the other guy and says, well, at least I don't use steroids. What does that make you think about the other guy? Well, you don't know that the other guy doesn't use steroids. It just made an accusation. Right. So the kind of common um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like the common assumption of, of people is that because if, if they if somebody says that something is non-GMO and something else doesn't have a non-GMO label, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, this must be a GMO because it doesn't have the label that says it's not. But people don't often realize that the non-GMO label is completely optional. There's most foods are non-GMOs, and they are not like like grapes, for example. There's there's a, a brand of grapes. I can't remember what the brand is now, and I don't want to call them out anyways. But they have a non-GMO label on their packaging. There's no such thing as a GMO grape. There never has been. So it's kind of like false advertising to say that it's a non-GMO grape because yeah, they're all non-GMO grapes. Like that's that's kind of the point, but. There, because because of this labeling issue, and same same thing goes with antibiotic free and hormone free and all that kind of stuff. There's this idea that if if it's non GMO, it must be better for you. It must be healthier. It must be you know safer. It must there must be something wrong with GMOs if people are making an effort to say that there's non GMOs in their product, and that's just not true. It's just a marketing ploy that that basically tricked a bunch of people into thinking that there's something better about non GMO foods than there actually is. So. So non-GMO farmers are better at marketing than than your average farmers. Is that what you're saying? So that's that's actually the tongue 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 a little bit in cheek there. (laughs) Please please take no no offense. (laughs) No, I I definitely caught the uh, caught the sarcasm there. But there's there's actually a lot of issues. People think that farmers are doing the marketing, and that's actually not true. Farmers have no control in the marketing whatsoever. Unless the farmers are the distributors themselves, which is very, very rare, most farmers sell their product off to a processor who sells it to a distributor who then markets it to the retailer. The distributor, actually not even the distributor, usually it's the retailer or somebody who's involved in the uh, packaging process is the one that puts the label on there. The farmer can get certified to have the label on there, but it's very rare that the farmer has the choice of saying, yeah, put that on there or not. The distributor usually says, we're going to make this a non-GMO label. And so that's kind of the misconception is people think that farmers are labeling these things to make money. The farmer doesn't get anything from the label. Actually, the farmer gets hurt from the label because if they say they're, they're, they don't uh, label their food non-GMO, people assume that they grow GMOs and they ask them why they're trying to kill everybody. And that's, that's, just, not, that's just not accurate. For, you know, most farmers are non-GMO, non-GMO farmers. They just don't grow them and they don't label their stuff as non-gmo but that doesn't mean that they grow gmos and so that's kind of that's that's the issue we're facing right now is people have this misconception of what gmo means of what's healthier and what's not and really it's based out based out of a few things labeling is just one of the issues another one is that because gmos are so new people think that there's going to be long-term health effects that are unforeseen and there hasn't been a single study published to date that has said anything close to that being accurate. So, I mean, there's there's been claims that there are certain GMOs that are causing cancer and, and, and autism and that sort of thing. None of that's ever been proven. There hasn't been any study that, that's shown that there's been any correlation between eating GMOs and the rates of cancer and autism increasing. So there's there's been a lot of misconceptions thrown around, and, and media is partially to blame because there's a lack of communication. People think they know something, and then without actually fact-checking it, they just say it, and automatically people think it's gospel. So that's kind of the the issue with GMOs, I guess you could say, is that people just don't know what they are, really. So I would be curious how that even how the correlations become to come into effect because it's breeding. I mean, that's not breeding. It's it, it is you're cross pollinating different kinds of plants to get to get a new breed or a new version of corn, for example. Um, but 
I feel like that a lot of people might have uh, trying to. Th- I, I, my my thought process is I'm having a hard time gathering my thoughts, but I'm thinking that a lot of people just correlate. You did like mention the hormones and um, antibiotics and the GMOs. They just put it all together. These are all all things just to get more yield versus and uh, at the expense of of quality food mm-hmm. and. And and again, I don't really, I I I'm losing my train of thought. I can't, I can't. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I know where you're going with. I I think okay. I think I have an idea okay. where you're going with it. Basically, Help, yeah. Please, <laughs> <laughs> if, if if I'm reading your context correctly, basically what you're kind of saying is that people are are just seeing all these labels and collectively assuming anything that's not labeled this is automatically bad. The antibiotics, pesticides, GMOs. If if you use any of those things. It's it's just a farmer's way of making a quick buck at the expense of this of, of the safety and quality of the food that's, that's being fed to the consumers. Is that in the ballpark of what you're trying to get at? Yeah, because I, I think because I think people are under the assumption that that food isn't as good as it used to be because it's just filler. It's just empty because so we can you know, pump up these pump up the this corn make it make it as big as possible. So that way we can you know get as much yield as humanly possible, and I, I feel like that uh, that is a lot of the feeling amongst those groups. Yeah, I would say that's that's fairly accurate. Um, I think that a lot of it is that it, it I mean, everything is kind of connected to the idea that a lot of consumers just have a uh, somewhat misunderstood idea of what agriculture really is. I mean, like like we talked about today, a lot of people don't know about all the technology that goes into ag, about all the uh, like the hard work and processing that goes into producing that product, about all the labeling, about all you know everything. So there's there's often somewhere lost in the translation is often the idea that farmers are doing whatever they're doing for profit. That's very rarely the case. I mean, a lot of farmers make a pretty decent amount of money, sure, but a lot of that money goes back into their farm. It's all tied in capital or a lot of farmers are struggling just to keep their heads above water, period. I mean, right now, with everything going on in the world, farmers are having to dump milk and euthanize animals because they can't afford to keep them alive. There's, I mean, there's a lot of issues going on in the ag industry because the economy is, is just falling apart. And to say that farmers are, are producing products that could potentially be harmful to consumers just to make a quick buck is just, that just doesn't make sense to me because farmers are eating the same food that they're producing. <laughs> and, like, a lot of that food has to be federally inspected from a safety perspective. It has to be it has to follow regulation. It has to follow all these protocols. And farmers have to jump through a million and one hoops to have certifications, to have warrant or not warrants, but um uh I can't think of the word right now, but um like basically like like uh, basically they have to have permission to to grow that food a certain way. So Farmers wouldn't go through all those hoops and, and deal with all those regulations and deal with all of that stuff just to produce a, a crop that's not good for anybody. Because farmers, I mean, anyone who says that farming is a profitable business is, is just not not very well educated, to, in my opinion. And that's not, that's, not a, not, that's not to say people who think that farmers make a lot of money are stupid. It's to say that farming is basically the same thing as gambling. You're investing a lot in mother nature and hoping that that she provides for you because a lot of times that doesn't work out and farmers lose a lot of money and they very often maybe have more to like the stock the market than than gambling that's that's fair that's a, that's a more accurate uh analogy but it's just if farmers wanted to make money they would not be farming i'll, I'll leave it at that so and and not to get all soapboxy again like i did last episode but um <laughs> it's just a matter of of 
if if I could talk to I mean, I am talking to the consumer right now, but if I could talk to the massive majority of consumers and have them take something away, the one thing I would just have them take away is just make sure you, you do your research before you assume that something means something. I mean... I definitely read... represent all consumers, by the way, just just, <laughs> just so we're clear. And that's that's definitely what I was going for. I mean, your, your <laughs> opinions and your views are reflective of every consumer in the entire world. That's what we're sickened by. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, everybody, if the world would definitely be an interesting place if that was the case. <laughs> but um, we'd all be playing no, Stardew. I, right. That would be the world. Would be some such a nicer place if everyone just played Stardew. That's a true story, man. It, it, that is a chill game. It, 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 it's kind of hard. It's hard to be wound up whenever you're playing Stardew, except for maybe whenever you're in the mines. But you know, yeah, the yeah. mines are very frustrating, but it's so relaxing because mm-hmm. you can just go give salad to the girl you're trying to woo, and it's just it's exactly. great. <laughs> but, Those um, desert mines are a little more interesting. But yeah, anyway, yeah. No. <laughs> but no, I, I think that I think that if people were more willing to have these conversations like you are, and if people were, were more willing to look into what the labels mean and, and do more research on what's going on in the ag industry, they'd be very surprised to find that farmers are going through more trouble than most industries right now, that they're struggling to break even most most days, that they're, they're putting all their blood, sweat, and tears into a product that's probably not going to make it to market because of the economy right now. It's just, it's, it's kind of a rough life for farmers right now. And I understand where the fear comes from for GMOs and for antibiotics and for pesticides because they're all scary things. They're things that you know, we just get told of these things are by media. We're, we're like, we're not taught in school what a GMO is, at least not unless you're in an ag class. But it's it's something that like I didn't even know what GMO was until I started doing public speaking and I learned from a speech I was writing. And I grew up in agriculture, so it's like there's a lot of, of stuff that is just very overlooked when it comes to food. And I think that it's just if people took an, another five minutes to do a, a quick Google search, it, it would it would fix a lot of issues. But that's my that's my two cents on that. If I can add to that, um, of course. Um, less about farming, more about media in general. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say on media, be careful what you listen to when it comes to media. And that I'm not I'm not getting on a political rant by any means. But when it comes to any kind of media, media makes generalizations and assumptions when it comes to especially specialized products and specialized services. Um, I may have told you before. I'm, I've I've done lending. That's basically been my uh, been my background for ten years, and mm. so I, I I had seen reports uh, on LinkedIn and things like that uh, from reputable sources talking about my company and speci- specifically a few years back. And they're saying this company does this, this, and this, and they do these payday loans, and they do this, and this. And I'm like, no. That is factually untrue. You can get on my website and you can see it specifically says does not do payday loans and this kind of stuff. But they're making all these claims that are just like like either a gross misrepresentation of the truth or just a flat out like, no, that is that is not what we do. That's not the customer that we service. That's not our business. And, you know, this is laid out as fact. And then, you know, I'm reading this and I know that that is not true. And then, but the general consumer is going to read that and say, oh, well, this company, that's just, we don't want to do anything with that. And, and then me as an employee is going to sit there and say, no, 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 that's not how it is. And it just makes you look like, sure, of course you'd say that you work there. Like, yes, I work there. I know. (laughs) And, And, but they're like, well, you work there. You're not going to say anything bad about it. So all that to say, 
I agree. Do your research before you make an assumption based on simply what one news anchor says or what one article says from a from a media outlet because in a lot of cases they do just the barest amount of research and they say, oh, well, this is how all things are everywhere and it's not going to be the case in all cases. Do your own research before you make a, a decision or assumption based on, on one potentially misinformed article that you read. And that is all. Soapbox, <laughs> close, off, etc. No, absolutely. And I won't go into that too much because I've already soapboxed quite a bit today. But I think that that's probably the best advice I could I could um, second. I think that that's a really good... And, and that's you perfectly described one of the biggest issues we're having right now with, uh, with the ag industry and media is that we're not allowed to defend ourselves because we are the agriculturalists. It's like, well, of course you're going to say that. You grow the food. It's like, well, who else is going to defend us then? Because nobody else cares, yeah. obviously. And so it's just a matter of like, yeah, I'm let, sorry, me give, let me Let me give you a call to action, dear listener. If you don't believe me on that, I would challenge you, whatever your area of expertise is, you know, whatever your industry is, go look for an article on your company specifically or your industry specifically and just see what they say. See if everything that they say is 100% true or exaggerated or et cetera. I can guarantee you you'll be able to find some things that just either is you know, again, exaggerated, untrue, or whatever, and that's true of any industry, I would imagine, unless it's just super public-facing. Okay, now, so, now rant truly over. <laughs> over. <laughs> so so real quick on that same subject, and I, I, I know I've been saying a million times we're going to get off this, but I, I really need to address this because your story reminded me of this. If you go into the Discord chat, I sent you a picture, and I want you to look. I sent you, I sent you two pictures, actually, but I want you to look at the second one. The one with the cow? Yes. If you, just being perfectly honest, if you had to describe what is happening in that picture, what contraption that cow is in, what do you think that is? Okay, so the picture's really small, but it looks like, um, I'll describe what I'm seeing here. Um, it is really small. Let's see if I can enhance. That. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. All right. So for the listeners, this looks, there is a, it's a flatbed truck with a cow on the back. Um, there are, it has its head and neck caught between what looks like two big metal sheets. Mm. So it's keeping its head in, in one place. And the farmer has a long pair of what uh, looks like nail clippers, um, which for a cow, that's about the size of a, of a hedge clipper. And mm. it looks like he is either clipping the cow's nails or he is cleaning his feet, but it's hard to tell. Um, but it's, it's, I won't say it's awful, but it doesn't, it doesn't look great. Hmm. So that process is hoof trimming. So you're, you're... I actually just saw, I just saw the uh, I just saw the uh, the, the <laughs> name of the picture. Like oh it is okay. I wasn't too far off. It is good. Yeah. clipping the, the, no, the toes. You're, you're right, definitely perfect. right on par. So that uh, that that I, he might be a farmer. But I don't know. Usually a farmer will call in a hoof trimmer to do this. So he might not even own cattle. He probably just does this for a living. But he has a you know he has special equipment to to trim down the cow's hooves that way when they're walking they don't have structure issues they don't throw out their back they don't you know hurt or whatever because uh, walking over time their hooves kind of get long just like our fingernails and toenails do and it can make the cow uncomfortable so that's a very important process to making sure the cow stays structurally sound and healthy and happy and all that sort of stuff the reason I show you this picture. And what you said towards the end there is very important, but how you said it doesn't look great. I agree. It's a very dirty truck. The The cow doesn't look like it's having a great time. But if I were to tell you that that machine is used to slaughter cows, would you believe me? Um, If you 
with if you didn't have the man with the long stick, you know, trimming the cow's hooves, I would say, uh, yeah, maybe. I, I actually have no idea uh, how the slaughtering process works. Uh, I, I have no idea how that works. Okay, well, we can cover that in another episode if you would like. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's like I'm not sure you want to get into that here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm all for it. I this this podcast is is tried and true, having honest conversations about agriculture. I you know I don't hold anything back because I think that the more you hold back, the more the more confusion and concern there's going to be. So if you just lay it out on the table as, as intellectually honestly as you can, that's all you can do. And if people can take with it, take what take with it, take from it. That's what I'm looking for what they will then that's that's all you can do basically but anyways we'll, we'll get into that later this picture not this exact picture but a picture of this contraption without the man there just it was just with the cow in, in this kind of contraption it was a different uh shoot with a different cow in it was posted all around facebook it might it might not have had a cow in it it might have just been the shoot i can't remember now but um it was posted all around facebook and it was described as a machine that shakes cattle to death that squeezes cattle to death, that is used to trap cattle before they're killed, all these things. If you had to guess, how fast do you think? So that that shoe, if you're looking at the picture, it's tipped on a side right now. Usually, it's it's up forward or it's 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 up uh, hor- uh, vertically. I couldn't think of the word for a second. Mm-hmm. It's it's up vertically usually, and then they have a, a motor that tips it on its side like that. If you had to guess how fast it tips on its side, what would what would you say? Well, I mean, going off of what we said before, cows want to be happy, so I would say very, very slowly. You'd be right. It's incredibly slow. I mean, like, one mile an hour might be pushing it. It's pretty slow. Like, so, in order to even shake that cow to death would be nearly impossible just because the motor itself doesn't do that. There's no squeezing mechanism on that chute to to cause that cow to, to have that kind of restriction. So... I, How does it keep the cow stable? Because I'm only seeing that one bit uh, around his shoulder haunches. So, so is all the pressure on the shoulder? How does, or is there more support towards the back? I can't, I can't tell from that picture. So it's it's kind of hard to see in the picture. So that that it's called a, a head stall or a stanchion that holds the cow's head in place that way. Because if the cow can't move its head, it usually can't flail its body a whole lot. But it's uh, all four of its legs are tied down to the table that way they can't move in and kick the the hoof trimmer in the head perfectly safe you know they use they use uh you know ropes or they use chains that have padding on them that way it doesn't hurt the cow and they're just they have like little hooks on the um on the chute itself that they just clip to and it just keeps the cow restrained for long enough for the for them to get their hooves trimmed and they're they're good to go that makes so. sense i mean it's kind of like shooting a horse or whatever it's you know you, it's not necessarily awful but you you don't want them uh you don't want them kicking around while you're trying to work on their feet exactly so yeah it's it's not it's not the best looking thing in the world but it's it's a lot safer for both parties involved that way the cow doesn't get hurt from kicking something and the man doesn't get hurt from getting a foot to the head but um uh that whole picture was described as as something terrible and something that it definitely was not and any farmer who tried to defend it saying that's a hoof trimming shoe the cows need that if, if the cow doesn't get its hooves trimmed then it, it could you know definitely mess up the cow and it'll be hurt and everything and they got completely ignored because they're the farmer of course they're going to defend it and so that that reminded me of the, of the the post you were talking about that you were trying to defend that you couldn't because you know you're in the industry so people aren't going to listen to you and so that's that's where I was going with that. Not that we need to go into a whole animal rights discussion because that could be a whole episode in and of itself. But that's kind of where I was going with the whole media thing. I'm so sorry. Um, I just I heard wrecking on my end. I thought it, that I heard a child 
but I think oh. we're okay. No worries. So I missed the last bit of what you said there. I was like, I'm like, uh, what am I hearing? And so I totally zoned out for, for, um, for, uh, until you said the animal rights stuff. Uh, so uh, I apologize. No worries. I was, I was just saying that that's, that's kind of where I was going with the whole media discussion thing, but that's a whole other conversation we could have another day. So you actually might be on for a third episode. Just depends if you still want to listen to my ranting. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I've had, but, I've had a good time. This has been fun. Yeah. I, I think that, having more conversations like this of more just like what does this do and how do you how does this work and you know how do farmers get past this is is, is a very good thing to, to have on on both ends you know it it kind of lets us in the agriculture industry know where consumers heads are at you know what do they actually care about what are they actually curious about what don't they know about what you know what are we failing to teach them and it teaches you guys what we're actually up to we're not doing anything sketchy we're not trying to hurt anybody we're just trying to produce food I, I like food. Food is good. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So that's, I mean, that's all I had. I don't know if you have any other comments or anything you want to say on, on that subject. Um, No, I don't think so. I think we we covered a, a more focused but still decently wide breadth of uh, of uh, of topics. I was not anticipating talking about Stardew, so <laughs> that's always fun. I told you I had, some, I had some content from your episode I wanted to bleed into this one, so. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so that's that's all I have. And so I forgot to do this last time, but I'm going to let you do it this time. So do you have anything you want to plug? Anything, anywhere, anyone anywhere can reach you? You want to plug your own podcast by chance? Um. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I appreciate that. Did we not do this last time? I don't recall. I, I, we didn't. I, I, I meant to, and I completely forgot until after oh, we were already oh. done recording. Oh, okay, well, uh, perfect. Since this is a two-parter anyway, I guess this works out. Um, so, uh, like you said earlier, I uh, co-host a podcast with my friend Becky. Um, we do the Silly Mundane Things podcast. It is a two-persons talking podcast, similar sort of to Hello Internet. <laughs> uh, uh, that that's that genre, I guess, of podcast. But um, we've done three episodes, like you'd mentioned. Uh, we just talk about a little bit of everything our first episode we did talk about christmas lights and christmas music the second one we talked about rise of skywalker um and did a review of that amongst a, a few other <laughs> meandering discussions <laughs> uh including twilight was involved yeah six thing not including twilight the queen of canada <laughs> and a few other things so yeah, uh, yeah there's there's a little bit of this and that our most focused episode was the last one and that was the um uh we did escape a room. collaboration with the escape this podcast and we did an audio only escape room it was really fun um and, that was really and cool. yeah I, and i highly check you know side sidebar check out escape this podcast if you like like a d and not, not D. I guess it's kind of a D, but kind of a role-playing type uh mm. escape room it is really cool their show is fantastic they had neil patrick harris on one of their episodes and that episode was fantastic wow. so uh check it out very very cool um, and I do social media very, very badly, but you can follow me at GameGuy2006 on Twitter if you like. Um, I tweeted for the first time in four years, like last weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me there if you want, you know, I don't know. But uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, that's all I had. Um, we did record another episode about Stardew like we talked about. Um, don't know when that one's going to come out. We did it before all of this uh, COVID stuff. And we're like, ah, do we really want to release this in the middle of all this tough stuff like well maybe not and then and then all this other stuff started happening after that in america and we're like yeah that's not a good time to release that either we're just going to kind of sit on this for a minute and so uh, it'll come out eventually whenever maybe timing is right and 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 things are a little little more normalized maybe hopefully 
Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. I mean, all of my episodes, I took a very long hiatus when COVID hit, so I, I postponed all my episodes for a while. I mean, like, at the time of recording this, I haven't posted a new episodes since, like, November. So it's it's been a while, but I, I've been kind of stockpiling so I can I can go back to releasing. So I'm kind of in a similar boat that you guys are in, but definitely well, understand that. Well, um, good stuff, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I very much appreciate uh, you coming in and talking to me for a second time. Pretend, yeah. We'll, we'll see about a third time. We'll, we'll, we'll have some, some talks. but um, We have guests on our show, too, so maybe we can uh, look into getting you on and having a maybe another follow-up Stardew episode or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, would be, I would be happy to talk about Stardew. This is so much fun. Also, I'm, I'm sure we've, we've talked about this before, but I have vast experience in all things nerdy. So Star Wars, video games, Harry Potter, you can bring me on for anything and I will have something to say about it. Oh, good stuff, good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that'd be fun. But um, yeah, no, so I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this. I know that like you have a lot of stuff going on with your kids and everything. So uh, it, was, it was very, very kind of you to, to take time, you know, a whole hour and a half to, to have discussions about robots and social media and all kinds of fun stuff. The pleasure was all mine. It was it was a, a great great a lot of fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I've I've definitely enjoyed our, our conversations the past couple weeks. You know, talking about your episodes and my episodes and all that kind of stuff. It's been it's been it's been a lot of fun. So, um, on that note, everyone go check out the Silly Mundane Things podcast. It's fantastic. I listen to it all the time while I'm working because it's very relaxing and soothing. And I'm looking forward to another episode because I've already listened to your episodes like twice so oh goodness well thank you <laughs> um but yeah no it's 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 a very good project and I'm, I'm very um happy to have have stumbled upon it so uh that's all i have for this episode thank you everyone for tuning in and don't forget if you ate today thank a farmer bye